for standing. You may be seated. God bless you. We're so excited to see you here this morning. We are in part two of a series entitled The Best Summer Ever, and I love summertime. There's just something about backyard barbecues, road trips, family vacation, going to the beach, camping out in the backyard, looking at the stars, having the cookouts, just getting out, hitting the trail, having fun with the family and friends, going on vacation. There's something about it, isn't it? Uh, growing up, we would always go on vacation every summer, and uh, my dad was a pastor, so typically what we would do is we'd load up in the family van, and we'd drive across country all the way to Wisconsin. And uh, this is a picture of the type of van that I had growing up. It was a Ford Econoline van. Now, our family was a large family, and so this is the type of van they drove everywhere, and we would go across country in a van just like this. Now, here's the thing about growing up in the van. Uh, we had nine. This van seats eight. So here's what my ingenious father did. We went to the city repo or dump, and we found an old RV, and we went inside. And in an RV, they have captain swivel chairs. We bought the captain swivel chair, unbolted it, and in the back of these Econoline vans, there's a place for a bench seat, but there's no bench seats for storage. So then we made sure not to hit the gas can, but my dad bolted that captain's chair down in the back. So we had two in the front, a bench row of three, a bench row of three, and someone in the corner. So it was blue vinyl, blue vinyl, blue vinyl, gray. All right, so our, our van didn't make sense. And on these long road trips, if you were bad, you had to go sit in the back in the corner. And because that seat could swivel, you had to turn around and sit the other way because you were in the corner, even in the van. Like, even on vacation, you could be put in the corner. So that's how we rode. And uh, we would go on, the, it would, our vacation would be three weeks, and we'd only stay in a hotel one night. We only got one night in a hotel. My dad was uh, cheap. But he had seven kids, so you can understand. So the rest of the time, we just slept in the car because we'd drive all the way from California, and we'd take the southern route, and we'd drive all the way through Oklahoma, Texas, and Tennessee, all the way on up, stopping in Illinois, and then we'd hit uh, Wisconsin, and then we would take the 80 all the way back, the northern route, and uh, we would sleep in the van. Now, a uh, different day than then, we would just sleep wherever we could find room. We just unbuckle, you find a place on the floor and go to sleep. My dad, you know, uh, you, when you prayed, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul to keep. You really prayed that dad stayed awake is what you would pray because you, you didn't have a seatbelt on. Now, I'm not advocating unseatbelting. It was the 80s. It's just what we did, all right? So uh, times have changed, wear seatbelts. But summertime was vacation. We look forward to that trip. Well, we're in a series to help us have the best summer Ever And last week, Pastor West kicked it off, and he preached a great message about faithfulness. Because it's easy in the summertime, as we think of vacation, to try to get a vacation from things that we probably shouldn't get a vacation from. There are some things we need to keep doing. There are some spiritual disciplines we should keep doing. You don't just take a vacation from your kids or vacation from your spouse. No, no, no. There are certain things you keep doing. So he talked about faithfulness. What were the things that God wants you to be faithful in this summer? This week, we're going to talk about the Bible, and then next week is Father's Day, and then the last message in the series is going to be about prayer. Now, you say, these are basic. I grew up in the church. These are basic. Exactly. These are basic truths to help us because we not only have a church that has a lot of people that you may have grown up in church, but we need to be reminded, but some of us, we're learning this for the first time. Like we didn't know any of this. So this is brand new and it's exciting. And so we're going to dive in and we're going to talk about the Bible this morning. And I'm looking forward to talking about the Bible because when it comes to the Bible, it's real easy to look at this book that's in 1,200 different languages. It was written 
thousands of years ago. It spans 1,600 years. It took 40 different authors. It's 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And I went to school to study this thing. I paid a lot of money to study this thing. And it's still intimidating. I meet some people and they're like, oh, I love Revelation. And that kind of scares me because I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And so you may be the type that you love studying a certain book, but sometimes I'll meet somebody and they're newer to the Bible. And they were like, pastor, pastor, I was reading the book of Job. And man, the book of Job was so good. And then you want to tell them, hey, that's great. I'm so excited you're reading the Bible. It's the book of Job. I know it looks like Job. And they're like, and then I went to Palms. Palms was such a good book. And uh, you're like, Palms? Yeah, Palms in the Bible. It's actually pronounced Psalms. And, uh, you know, so you can tell if somebody's newer at the Bible. So sometimes it can be intimidating to want to open this book and to study and to read from it. So what I hope to do is even though that this is the most popular book throughout time, and even though many of us probably downloaded the Bible app on our phones or on our tablets, or we have a Bible, I want us to help us this morning to look at the Bible and maybe have a better understanding of it. Because the Bible can be intimidating. And when it's intimidating, things are intimidating, we like to avoid, especially us men. We're just like, nope, that's intimidating. I don't want to do it. But let me help you with some of the big thoughts of the Bible, okay? The Bible is really about one person. It's many stories about one story, the story of Jesus. If you start in Genesis, you end in Revelation, there's a scarlet thread you could weave throughout the Bible, and it's all about Jesus. So the Bible is broken up, and I'm going to break it up for you. It's kind of like this, okay? So you have the Old Testament, and then we have the New Testament. Now, the word testament could be the exact same word as contract. There was an Old Testament contract. There was a New Testament contract. We see in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, we see God come on the scene. He's always existed, but you see him, his word starts, and you see his work of creation. You see paradise, and you see man. So that's where the Bible begins. It's God, it's man, and paradise. Sounds pretty good to me. Now, my handwriting is going to be bad, but you'll stay with me, okay? Now, you're going to see that's how the Bible starts out. God, man, and paradise. That was God's original plan. Paradise. No taxes. No uh, all this labor, all this stress. That was never God's idea. That was because of the very next event that happens in Genesis chapter number 3. What is that next event? Something happens. It's a pivotal event. This event is where we're introduced to a wicked, evil person named Satan, sin, and the fall of man. That's the second major event. So when you're looking at the Bible, it starts off with God, man, and paradise. Satan comes in, destroys it, chapter 3. We're going to learn a little bit more about this next week. But then the third major event that you see in the Old Testament is the Tower of Babel. You say, That's a major event? Yes, here's why. Because it was a one world government. They said, let us all have one language. Let's all be one. That was not God's plan. God's plan was to disperse. So that's when we see the confounding of the languages. And this would have been also in Genesis. So you see one world government. Okay? And then the next major event in the Old Testament, the old contract, is you see the 12 tribes... Of Abraham, okay? I'm going to call him Abe, okay? 
just for short. But the Bible is about one person. Who's that? It's about JC, Jesus Christ. That's who it's about. And so this all points. Now, the Old Testament and the New Testament is a mirror. You say, what do you mean a mirror? So if you're in the Old Testament, you could take these major events and they're mirrored in the New Testament. You say, what do you mean they're mirrored? We don't have 12 tribes, but we did have in the New Testament 12 apostles. Now, we also have the church. Because right now, we're in the church age. So, it mirrors. Now, you say, what's the next major event recorded in the New Testament? It's a one-world government. That's Revelation. Begin in chapter 6, read through the book of Revelation. The next thing to happen. Now, when I was younger, a one-world government seemed kind of crazy. But now, you hear more and more people talking about a one-world government. You see that it's just, it, 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 because of communication, because of what, something we call globalization, you can see this coming together. You can see many politicians advocate and talk for this. This is part of the idea behind the European Union. There's these ideas that man's trying to get to. You, if you do any research about the Silicon Valley, they're trying to produce utopia in the Silicon Valley. There's a great book, if you ever want to read it, it's called Homo Deus. It means man is God. And it's all about starting here in the Silicon Valley, because now... We can reproduce or clone mankind. We, we're getting there. Uh, Barbara Streisand cloned her dog. She cloned her dog. Do you have enough money? You can do it. So we are pre-singularity, and a lot of this stuff is starting the Silicon Valley. You didn't know you were in such a hotbed area. You didn't know you were at the groundbreaking of people that have this idea. You say, well, where is the church in all this? We're somewhere in here right now. That's This hasn't happened yet. You say, well, what's the next major event? You see, the next major event is going to be what's called the tribulation. And then we're going to see after that, we're going to see Satan is thrown down. He is cast into hell. You said, I thought Satan is already in hell. No, he's not in hell. The Bible says Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's not in hell right now. That will be his final resting place, but he's not there yet. So the next event we saw here was the fall But guess whose fall is going to be next? And we can't wait for this. Satan and sin will be abolished. Those will be gone. And what's the final event? I told you it's a mirror. The Old Testament, the old contract and the new new contract, it's a mirror of each other. The final event, this should get us all excited, is something called a new heaven and a new earth. So we go back to God, man, and paradise. Oh, and we can't wait for that day where the Bible says, I'll wipe every tear from every eye. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more stress, uh, no more uh, uh, things to worry about. We're going to be there. We're going to have a new creation, new bodies, not be sick again. And so this is the Bible. That's it. You say there's a lot of other events. There is, but these are the major events that when it comes to the Bible and understanding it, those are the major events. Because I want you to grasp the Bible because when it comes to the Bible, it's necessary. You say, I want to know God. If you want to know God, then you need to get to know his word. When we get to know his word, we get to know God. Now, how many of you, you would prefer a voicemail over a text message? Let me see your hands. Voicemail over text message. Ooh, just a few. How many prefer a text message? 
Oh, there we go. Okay, this is my crowd. The earlier crowd, they didn't, they wanted a voicemail. I love text message. Then I can see if I want to ignore you or not. All right. So it's like a voicemail. I got to listen to it. And then once I've listened to it, now I got to respond. But the text message, I just don't ever click on it. Sometimes my wife clicks on it. It's like, why'd you click on it? Now it's going to show that I read it. And now I got to respond. What have you done to me, woman? And uh, it's all because of the fall. And uh, anyway, um, uh, so we, 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 for a text, God gave us a text message. He gave us a text for us to read, to obey, to learn from. But the Bible is all about this story that God offers. And the, the Bible is about God's love, the necessity of a life-changing experience with him, and the promise of forgiveness and a fresh start. That's really what the Bible is all about. God's love, the, the necessity of a life-changing experience. If you've never experienced a life-changing Jesus Christ, that's where a church is all about, to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we want for you. If this is your first time here. We're so excited that you're here, but we don't want you to be intimidated by this book called the Bible. Because if you grew up in the church, you're new to the church, this is everything for us. We, we love the Bible. We study the Bible. And this isn't a message to defend the Bible. God never once argues in defense of his word. He doesn't. I'm not going to do that this morning, but this is mainly to help us define it a little bit more. You see, because the Bible, um, I no longer have to make guesses about God because I have the Bible. I know what God wants. I know what he wants to do. You see, because the Bible, it's not just ink on paper. It's alive and active. You see, how do we know it's alive and active? Because of Hebrews 4.12. Let's put the scripture up here. And I want you to have these scriptures. If you want to know more, write these down. The back of your worship guide, there are notes. Take these notes. Hebrews 4, verse number 12. Here's what the Bible says. It says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. But I love the part that says it's alive and active. This book is alive and active. It's doing a work right now. When we read God's word, it's doing something inside of us. When we speak God's word, it's doing something because God's word is the only book that's alive. Hey, Catcher in the Rye can't change your life. Hey, the Chronicles of Narnia series can't change your life. The, uh, um, the, any book, you name it, Hunger Games, can't change your life. This is the only book that can change your life. You can read a business book, a self-help book. This is the book that promises to change your life. And so that brings us all the way to Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four. And this is where we're going to spend in our time in just four verses, Matthew chapter four, as we kind of dive in. And I want us to see this passage. We're going to look at four verses and then our time is going to be done today. Okay. It might be a little bit more teaching, but I believe this will help us. Verse number one, here's what the Bible says. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thank you, Matthew, for adding that. That's so, yes, he was hungry, obviously. Verse number three, the tempter came to him and said, here's the thing, stop for just a second. Understand that whenever you're weak spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically, mark it down, the enemy's going to come after you. He will. That's why the Bible says, put on the armor of God, that you may be able to stand in that day of temptation. So don't leave your house in a bad mood without putting on the armor. Don't leave your house all upset and negative-minded, because why? You're a target for the enemy. So Jesus, he's at a weakened state. And here's what's so amazing. We're going to learn about this. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, that's a real temptation. You haven't eaten in 40 days. Do you know what happens to your body after you haven't eaten 40 days? It's amazing. You get hungry. 
I don't know if you knew that, but you get hungry. Not just really hungry, you get starving hungry. Like you're really hungry. And so bread would have sounded really good, but notice how Jesus answers. Verse number four, here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Bread that comes from the mouth of God, the word of God. Now, I think that's amazing. You say, that's a great verse that Jesus just quoted on the spot. He wasn't just making that verse up. That's a direct reference to Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse number three. You see, all Jewish young men had to memorize the first five books of the New Testament or the Old Testament, which is the Pentateuch. They would memorize them, every word by heart. And here's what Deuteronomy eight, three says. It says this, and I love this verse. It's one that bears repeating. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Here's the great thing. Jesus knew he's going to be tempted. He knew he's going to be physically weak, but he knew when the weakness comes, I need to have something that's better than bread. And Jesus said, the Bible is better than bread. That's the point he's making. This morning, you want to give a title to this message. It's that the Bible is better than bread or better than bread. Now, any of you like bread? How many, how many bread fans do I have in the house? Oh, I love it. I love it. Then, then this probably won't bother you at all. This, this shouldn't bother you. I got a whole basket full of bread. A basket of bread. I love bread. Bread is delicious. It even smells good. I love me some bread. Whenever I go to a restaurant, I love bread. I like going to restaurants where they have bread, and you can dip it in olive oil and uh, some of that. That's so good, isn't it? So good. I've got baguettes here. I got French bread. I got sourdough bread. I got bread sticks. I even have bread Jesus probably would have eaten. This is, this is no leavened bread, all right? This is bread Jesus would have probably eaten like this. This would have been common. And so bread's big. How many people, you love bread? Let me see your hands again. Yeah, we love bread. So this wouldn't tempt anybody if I just kind of wafted some fresh bread in your, in your way, you know, bread. This is delicious. There's something about bread. Now, today, when it comes to our normal meal, bread is a side, isn't it? So if you're going to have steak and potatoes and vegetables, you'll probably have a roll with it. Now, in Jesus' culture, Bread was not a side dish. Bread was the main dish. Now, I love my wife. It's good for a husband to love his wife. My wife's Filipino. Filipinos, they have a main dish. It's called rice. Thank you very much. And in our house, it's a bad day if we run out of rice. It's not good. We need to get some rice. Now, I grew up and I would defile my rice. You say, what do you mean you defiled your rice? I put butter and salt on my rice. And when I grew up, That was the way to do it. Butter and salt on rice was delicious. But then my wife said, what have you done to the rice? You know, and it was just like she did not, that was not allowed. So when we got married, you had to change that. So I learned, I learned now we just eat straight rice. Now you can fry it and put garlic in it and that's delicious. But you don't put butter and salt in your rice and it's just not to be done. And so that's a staple in that culture. Now, in Jesus' culture is different than today's culture. Today's culture, bread is a side. It's delicious. Anybody ever heard of Lambert's Cafe in the South? Lambert's? Ooh, I have a couple people. The first service didn't know what Lambert's was. I was like, you're not saved. My goodness. And we need to talk. And uh, Lambert's, you go to Lambert's Cafe, and if you want bread, they throw it to you. Look out. There's rolls throwing. They're coming. And uh, it's the, how, uh, the, the restaurant of the freshly freshly throwed, throwed is the way they say it there, rolls. And they throw you roll. They throw you bread. But in Jesus' day, bread was the staple. Bread was the main course. So what you would do is you would have bread 
and you might have a little bit of meat. You might have a little bit of vegetables, but the main source of nutrition in that day was bread. So for Jesus to be tempted with bread, it's the main source. So here, understand, contrast the culture. Satan is saying, you're hungry, you're weak, have bread, fill your stomach, have the main sustenance. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the main thing. This is the main thing. You see, the Bible for a believer, the Bible for a Christ follower is the main thing. But yet, how many times do we relegate the main source of spiritual nutrition to a Sunday morning 30-minute sermonette? Or Caleb, or a verse of the day. You see, the Bible says, I saw thy words, and I did taste them, and I did eat them, and they were sweeter than honey. It says there was something about God's word that we want. If we're a child of God, there should be a desire for spiritual things. Some of us, our souls are malnourished because we're not feeding our soul, our spirit, on the word of God. We're waiting till Sunday. What if you waited all week and you didn't eat? You didn't eat. You would be famished. The Bible says to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. So if you are filling your life on other things, you're not going to be hungry for the word. How many still read the paper? I'm just curious. Not to make fun of you. This is just how many still read the paper? A few of us. How many read the internet? Any stuff on the internet? Yep. Majority of us. How many read stuff on social media? Yep. There we go. Uh I do all three. Magazines. Any magazine readers in the house? This is not to judge. This is just, just seeing who my audience is. Now, we know... That not everything we read in a magazine is true, correct? Can we all agree? Not everything's true. Some of it's true. Now, we know that when we open the newspaper, not everything is true. No majority, but we, we can all agree. Now, but we do know everything we see on the internet is absolutely true. That's that. That's, that's reliable, right? Totally. Totally. All right? No, it's not. And then everything on social media is not true either, right? Correct? Here's what's funny. How come we spend more time reading something we know that has errors? Come on now. Then we know we read this. This doesn't have errors. This is God's word. This is God's word. God says it's inspired. It's truth. This is truth. So I want you to write down three points today, and we're going to move quickly through it. I want you to write three words. The first word is appetites, ability, and authority. We're going to go through those three words as we talk about bread, as we talk about the Bible, because Jesus said there is something we need, and it is bread. We need it. Our culture today, we live based on appetites, don't we? Now, I'm not just here to talk about go on a diet and don't eat as much. Enjoy food. God said, the belly for meats and meats for the belly. God did not, Jesus ate at every party. He did. This is just a time where he fasted. There are times when we say no to our appetites. So Jesus is saying, he's setting a precedence that there are worldly or there are fleshly appetites that lead us. Sometimes we have a sensual appetite, okay? Today, we advertise with sensual things. There are sensual advertisements. There is sensual activity that's going on. It's all over the internet. It's pervasive in culture. Everything is just sensual. Okay, And so now we have a culture that's so stimulated sensually, they don't even know it's sensual anymore. And they have an appetite for it at a young age. That children now 9 and 10 are talking about sexual things. Why? Because they have an appetite. Who gave them that appetite for it? Okay, so Or we have an appetite for things we shouldn't have. Oh, I just want a different spouse. Just got to have a different spouse. Oh, I just want a new car. They, they have an appetite. So it's not just food. It's not just the sensual. But how many know we have a culture that we're led by our appetites. And it starts out very simple. What do you feel like going to dinner, honey, tonight? I don't know. I don't know what I feel like. Do I feel like Taco Bell? Do I feel like Thai food? Do I feel like Filipino food? Do I feel like cheesecake? And, uh, you know, we all have a go-to restaurant. We don't know what we feel like, but we're going based on our appetites. I know people that their whole life is lived by their appetites. Everything's about their appetites. And Satan is trying to get us to 
Give in to those appetites. Now, here's the thing. Here's a statement I'd love for you to write down. When it comes to your appetites, we live in a world where appetite leads, but Jesus modeled that authority should lead. We live in a world that appetite leads, but Jesus modeled that authority should lead. You see, Satan will tempt you to satisfy godly appetites in ungodly ways. Let me ask you a question. Is it wrong to eat bread? Yes or no? No, it's not. But it was wrong for Jesus in the moment. Because Jesus was in a state where he's saying, I'm humbling myself. I'm fasting. I'm not going to use my spiritual power. Jesus raised the dead, gave sight to the blind. Jesus uh, uh, did crazy things. Jesus at a funeral was a good sign because this funeral was going to turn into a party. That's, that was good to have Jesus there. So he can do the miracle. But here's what's amazing. Jesus knew that I'm not going to give in to this appetite. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to satisfy my flesh in an ungodly way. You see, here's the other thing. When you're fasting, do not break a 40-day fast and just go and eat. Don't just, don't just, hey, 40 days, haven't had anything, steak and lobster, fish and turf, you know, surf and turf. Don't do it. You will have the worst stomach ache. It could be very detrimental to your health. Why? Your stomach shrunk. It'd be very unhealthy for you. So not only spiritually would this not have been good for Jesus, physically it wouldn't have been it either. Hey, the same is true about some of the stuff you and I are tempted to do. It's not just that it's spiritually wrong. Some of these things are physically wrong. Physically. It's just wrong to steal, not just spiritually, but physically. There are things that have these side effects that you just don't want to jump into. And Jesus was aware of that. And so when we make our decisions, we need to remember, wait, what is leading? Is my appetite leading or God's authority leading? You see, please write this down. God's word may keep us from short-term pleasures, but it leads us to long-term joy. God's word may keep us from short-term pleasure but it leads us to long-term joy. And if you're a young person, please hear this because we live in a day where sexual promiscuity is everywhere, where everybody's telling you, hey, why aren't you sexually active? Where, how come you, you, you're still a virgin? Where that's mocked, where that's put down. I want to tell you, there is some great worth in saving yourself. There is some great value there. There is short-term pleasure in giving in, but it's long-term hurt. So when you're tempted, understand that there's a person that they slept around and they come to you and say, why aren't you sleeping around? You could say, guess what? At any moment, I can be like you at any moment, but you never get to be like me again. There's a trade. There's a trade. There's short-term and long-term joy. Which one are you going to choose? The short-term, the quick? My dad used to do an illustration when he preached growing up. He would pull out a penny and a $20 bill, and he would ask somebody from the audience. He would say, hey, do you want the penny now, or if you wait till the end of the service, I'll give you $20. How many think the kid always waited for the $20? They always did. You see, you and I, we have a problem with waiting, don't we? We just want the quick fix. Oh, I see that secretary, and oh, she's vulnerable, and I'm vulnerable. I'm in a weakened state. The marriage isn't going so well. I just, oh, nobody will know we're on this weekend trip. It's the short term. It's the short term. Oh, I'm, I'm at the register, and nobody's watching over me, and they don't pay me enough. And, man, I could really use an extra couple hundred dollars this weekend, pay some bills. It's short term, long term pain. So we need to see what is leading. Is it the appetites? Now, I told you I love bread. I love bread. But can I show you my favorite kind of bread? My favorite kind of bread. Oh, my. Bread is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, look at that. That's, that's some good bread. That's delicious bread. Would anybody like some of my bread? This is, this is not a trick. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. Perfect. Anybody else want some bread? I got, I got some bread. These are, this is round bread. This bread is round. And um, mm, it's good. This is, this is Krispy Kreme bread. This bread is spiritual. I'm telling you what. You have one of these. I'm telling you what. Once on the lips, forever on the hips. Who cares? It's worth it. Anybody? All right. Anybody? Anybody else? Here's what I'm going to do. Mr. Eugene, can you pass those out for me? Thank you, sir. Eugene, we'll make sure you get some of my fresh bread. 
And it's not a trick, but when it comes to bread, we have a desire for it. Our appetites immediately. We're like, man, I want one of those. I want some of that. They got bread. That's delicious. That is good. I want some of that. That bread smells good. It tastes good. It'll be good. But we've got to see, wait a minute. God has bread that is so much better. What they would do is a young Jewish young man coming up in the synagogue, they would, when you memorize the verse, he would put honey on your mouth. He'd give you some honey to teach you that every time you got God's word, it is saying that God's word is sweeter than honey and it's sweeter than honey out of the honeycomb. It's more valuable than gold, more precious than gold. So we got to get back to that value of God's word. I love what Psalm 1611 says. It says, you will show me the way of life. Being with you is to be full of joy. In your right hand, there is happiness forevermore. Now, I don't know about you, but if I know that there's happiness forevermore, I can say no to the short-term pleasure. But what happens is we don't have our mind on the price. Young man, have your mind that I'm going to remain a virgin until I meet my wife at the altar. And it'll be something special and sacred. Uh, young lady, save yourself. Have a goal in your mind that there's a man who's keeping himself and I'm keeping myself. I have my mind on the prize. Right now, I'm in the middle. I'm day 34 of a 40-day fast. I never thought I could do it. When it came to bread, when it came to this stuff, you got to understand how weak I am. You say, man, but you look thinner. Yeah, I haven't eaten 34 days. That's why I look thinner. Um, no, it's, it's, uh, these aren't skinny jeans, all right? These, these are baggy now. And uh, uh, my skinny jeans, I have to wear a belt now and uh, uh, lose and weight. But understand, there's no way I would have made it. So I got a journal. And each day I knew to have a journal. And then I had a date where I was going to end it. And I knew I need some accountability partners. I need some things that will help me because I wouldn't make it. Many times we perish. We don't have our mind on a goal because we give in to the short-term pleasure. But if we have a goal for long-term, then we can make it. We can endure. Understand the Bible. Bible challenges us to live beyond what feels good to what God has revealed as good. You see, let's get away from what feels good to what God has revealed as good. God has stuff that he's revealed as good to us. Now, i got to move. Notice the ability. You see, that's the appetite, but I don't know if I have the ability. You do. Jesus was proving that we have the ability. The Bible says, then Jesus, verse number one. We don't know what he did prior to this temptation for 30 years. He's just kind of in obscurity. But here's what I want you to understand. That God, before God uses someone publicly, he forms them privately. So you want God to use you. You want God to use you in your marriage, your job, your relationship. Then you need to say, God, I'm going to do some private work. I'll allow you to work on me. In the end of this chapter, we see Jesus do amazing miracles at the end of it. He does incredible things through Jesus, but it comes to you because Jesus understood authority. You see, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Who's the authority? Who is he giving authority to? God. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm under an authority. Now, how many of you like, you don't like anybody being in control over you? you? You don't like that. Now, the ones of you didn't raise your hand, you're like, I'm not raising your hand. I'm not, you're not making me do anything. I don't care you got a mic. See, you don't like control. I knew it. I know you. Yeah. You see, we don't like anybody being in control. All of us. Come on. You have a two-year-old. You had a two-year-old. You know, they don't like anybody being in control of them. It's my kid's birthday. And so, um, Cain can't talk. Like, he hasn't said a word. Like, Dada, no. Mom, no. You want to know what his first word was yesterday? Jane got these cupcakes, okay? Cupcakes. And he would not eat his dinner. But you know what he learned to say real fast? Cupcake. He can't say mom or dad, but he could say cupcake? What? 
it appetites. See, you and I, we got to get back to the authority. You see, God is the authority. Now, here's the thing about word. Jesus said to Satan, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, the word, word is an interesting word. You like that? You see, the word was written in Greek in the New Testament, Hebrew in the Old Testament. Now, the Greek word here in the Bible, there's two words in Greek, logos and rhema. Now, the word logos is the verbal word of God. God just speaking to you. The word rhema is the written word. So many of us are going around and we want God to give us logos. God, I don't know what to do about this decision. God, speak to me. And sometimes God does. Sometimes he does. But many of you, you're going through your life up and down. Like, I just haven't heard from God. I just haven't heard from God. I haven't heard from God about tithing, but he said it in his word. I haven't heard from God about staying pure, but he said it in his word. I haven't heard from God about church attendance, but he said it in his word. I haven't heard from God about serving others, but he says in his word. I haven't heard from God about if I should stay with my wife, but he said in his word. And we're going back because we want this verbal word from God. But here, the word is not logos. It's rhema written word. He's saying we do not live by, by bread. He's saying, but we live by the written word. Jesus had some of the written word. And he said, that's what we live by. And we need a generation of people that say, I live by the written word. I do what God says. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will remain pure. I will do right. I will love God. I will serve. Jesus Christ gave a command to each and every one of us out of his word. And we need to be a church that gets back in the word. You want the best summer ever? It's a summer where you get back in the word. Don't tell me you don't have time. You can put a verse a day on your phone. Don't don't tell me you don't have access. There's 1,200 translations of the Bible. There's only 10% of the world's population that does not have access. We have the Bible everywhere. We are without excuse, church. We have no excuse not to get in God's word, not to carve out time. I'm sorry, but you like to give excuses why you can't get up 20 minutes early. I'm sorry, you like to give excuses why you'll be on time to go to any game. You're on time to go to the movies. You're on time to go shopping, but you can't carve out 15 minutes for God. I'm telling you what, we have priorities for everything, but we don't have priorities for God's word. I don't mean to get old school on you, but it's time we get a, ourselves a Bible. I don't care if it's on a phone, if it's on an iPad, or if it's on this, or if it's Braille, or you get yourself some papyrus, whatever it takes, but you get yourself some of the word of God. And you say, God, I'm going to get into this word. This word is alive. It is active. It can transform my life. And so God, I want it. I need it in my life. It is better than bread. But here's what's so powerful. Here's the best part. Jesus didn't need the bread. You want to know why, church? Oh, it's in John 6, because Jesus said, I am the bread. Oh, it made sense. Jesus said, I don't need bread. I am bread. He is the one that'll feed your hungry soul. He is the one that'll quench your thirst. This morning, you came in here, and you said, man, I just need a boyfriend. I just need a girlfriend. I just need this. I just need No, 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 no. This is better than bread. This is better than anything you're desiring. You see, he was saying your appetites, it wasn't just merely physical, but a lot of us have physical appetites, physical desires, and those desires are good desires for the most part. They're God desires, but understand, let's feed ourselves off of God. Let's say, God, control me. God, use me. Here's the powerful lesson I learned this week. I'm fasting, and man, I'll tell you what. Any of you ever gotten hangry? Any? Yeah, I had a couple of us sinners in here. Amen. Thank you. I need a witness. I've been just a little bit hangry. Just a little bit. And um, when I get hangry, I'm I'm not in the best mood. And yeah, I I did some things and I said some things to my spouse. And man, it was not good. And I began to think back and I was like, man, if I just had some coffee, like these thoughts really went through my mind. If I just had a cup of coffee, I wouldn't have. Why? Because caffeine alters my mood. Man, if I just had a, a pizza, if I just had a crust of bread, if I just had one of these little 
little things, this. If I just had this, I wouldn't have gotten upset. I wouldn't have gotten moody if I just would have had something, even a Twinkie, something. I was like a man crawling on hands and knees just for something to eat. But then a thought crossed my mind. I rely on caffeine to alter my mood. I rely on food to alter my mood. I feel better after I've eaten. You do too. It's how God wired us. But what happens is some of us will go to a party and we rely on a couple drinks to get us kind of limber up. I know I'm, I'm preaching. I'm, I'm stepping on your toes when we get quiet. And uh, some of us, we rely on caffeine. Otherwise, we, we, we don't walk in the spirit. Can I tell you this? If you need caffeine to walk in the spirit, you're not actually walking in the spirit. You're walking in the spirit of caffeine. You're walking in the spirit of alcohol. You're walking in the spirit of bread. Jesus said, the bread is better. My word will sustain you. You see, I just have a temper. Nothing can control it. I said that excuse too, and it's an excuse. Let's confess before God and let's renounce it. Because God can give us a spirit. He can give us his word. His word is there. Don't tell me your emotions are all over the place. Don't tell me you have mood swings. Let's get back into God's word. Let's get back in and say, God, I'm tired of depending on this to alter my mood. God, that is not wrong. Is bread wrong? Yes or no, church? No, it's not. But this and I had on Friday, I went to Jane and I, we drove to Southern California, came back the same day. And I was at a conference. A guy walked up, he's leading. And then he walks up to me and he just has a personality that he can kind of get away with this. And he was like, gets my face. I'm talking to somebody else. And he goes, are you fasting? He's like, you look really skinny. And I was like, yeah. He's like, what are you fasting for? I was like, spiritual breakthrough. He's like, you just have idols. And he walks away. And he was right. And he was right. Idols that I could not see. Idols that, guess what? As long as the bread was in the way, I could not see the idols. I couldn't see the idols that I created because this was in the way. Because my mind was focused on food. My mind was focused on my comfort, my belly. Is it wrong? No. But there are things that God wants to do. Isaiah chapter number six, the great prophet Isaiah, he's writing. And he says in Isaiah six, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Then saw I the Lord high and lifted up. And that was where Isaiah said, Lord, here am I, send me. It's the great call of Isaiah. Isaiah was a great prophet and King Uzziah was a good king. But here's the thing. The good prophet said he didn't see God until the good king died. Some of you are like, I need a spiritual breakthrough. My marriage is a mess. I'm addicted to alcohol, drugs, and pornography, and I'm addicted, and it's a mess, and I put up a good front. I'm in the Silicon Valley, and the Silicon Valley is wind, be on all the time. I gotta dress right, act right, it's exhausting. And I'm telling you to break the back of it. You start with this. And you say, God, I'm putting this on. A farmer, when he has flies in the field that'll destroy the crop, do you know how many days it takes to get the flies out of the field? 40 days. Do you know what they called Jesus in the New Testament? They called him a demon. Remember the demon that they called him? Beelzebub. You know what that is? That's Lord of the flies. Some of you got strongholds in your life. You think, no, this is just drugs. This is just alcohol. This is just sex. This is just my anger. This is just my passivity. This is just, and God is saying, what would you trade to be free from that? Short term or long term? God wants to set us free this morning. 
God wants us to walk as a free church. God doesn't want us bound by any addiction, any drug, any alcohol, any sex, anything that the rest of the world would go around. And we go around with a new joy, a new peace, a new lease on life, with some happiness, with some joy, with some gladness. When we wake up in the morning, we're so grateful. We're so thankful for the goodness of our God. And it's not because of the bread. It's because we start opening God's word and he's speaking and it's alive and he's well. And we're seeing Jesus and we're seeing miracles. We're seeing him do stuff. And during this fast, I've seen God start to break things open. I've seen God start to cleanse my life of garbage and junk that was in there. And it was deep and it was breaking me. It was breaking my marriage. And it was time that I had to come clean before God. It was time where I had to let God do a work inside of me. And I desire for that for our church. Where we as a church come clean. The Bible says, who can stand before God? Those that have pure hands and a clean heart. But we are a church that we lift up our bread. We are a church that lift up our image. We are a church that lifts up everything but what God wants. Clean hands and a pure heart. And it's time we say, God, I'm breaking myself before you. The Bible says, this is the fast that I have ordained to break the bondage, to break the yoke over your life. Some of you tried everything. You've gone everywhere. And even coming to church today is a Hail Mary pass on trying to fix yourself. And God says, it's not about fixing yourself. It's about humbling yourself with fasting and saying, there's something I'm going to get rid of in my life so that I can get more of God. Because at the end of the day, the Bible is our connection with God. It's our text message before him. You want to break the back of that? Some of you have demonic forces working in your life and in your family and you need to break it. And the only way to break it, Jesus said to his disciples, this kind only comes by prayer and fasting. We have a generation. We know how to pray, but we don't know how to fast. We don't know how to give up on something. And fasting, excuse me, is not giving up on TV. It's not giving up on your soap operas. It's saying, God, I'll take the bread and I'll give it up for a week. God, I'll take this and I'll give it up because I need a little bit more of God this week. I need a little bit more. I don't care if it's a 24-hour fast, a 48-hour fast, a 21-day Daniel fast, or a 40-day fast, but you want to see God do the miraculous? God will do the miraculous. You want to hear some miracles this week, church? You want to hear a miracle? Are you ready to hear a miracle? Let me hear you. Are you? Do you want to hear about a miracle? Here's the miracle, church. We are sitting as a church with one property over off of Bernal and Santa Teresa, right? We have that property till 2021. But I'm sorry, church, we're not the church with one property. Our church has two properties. You say, what do you mean two properties? On Blossom Hill, on the corner of Snell, there was an old company. It was a furniture company. Guess what? They just went out of business. Do you, how many know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? Talk to me, church. Talk to me. We got a few minutes and we got to go, all right? It's time to go. And on that corner of Snell and Blossom Hill, there's a building. It's the ACO building. And guess what? A few weeks ago, our council member, he said, hey, I got this building. I need to do something with it. Homeless people are living in it. Do you have any ideas what we could do with that building? And I was like, yeah, you could put a daycare in there. You could put this. And then Mike was, Wallace was standing next to me and he drops his head like, what are you saying? And I didn't get it. And I called the councilman back and said, wait a minute. I, 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 I got an idea for that building. I got an idea for a church. I got an idea for a church to meet in there. He's like, great. It's free. Just pay the utilities. Fasting is so hard. And this is not to put me on a pedestal. Fasting brings you down. I've never gotten an argument with our staff, but a week and a half ago, I got in an argument with our staff. Why? It'll humble you. It'll break you down. You know how many times my family's like, are you done yet, Dad? Please eat. It's like the person who's giving up something of a not healthy nature. And you're like, you were better when you were an addict. 
And God has to do a work. God will do the work. If you're sitting here today and you're like, my life is dry and empty. I didn't do this for the first service, but I'm going to throw the challenge out there. If you want to do a six-day fast with me, I'll finish a fast with you. It helps to have an accountability partner. If you want to fast, I'll fast with you. You say, hey, for six days, I want to fast with you. You can join me. Next Father's Day, hallelujah, bacon bar. Amen. That was my idea. That was all mine. No, my wife's like, nope, vegetable broth. Because you'll make yourself sick. You, you will. But if you're saying, I need God to do something. Some of you come up week after week, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. And I'm like, this isn't working. Fasting is a hunger strike against hell. You know that, right? It's a hunger strike against hell. That's what fasting does. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, fasted for 21 days. And then the angel Gabriel said, I had the answer on day one of your fast, but the prince of Persia withstood me. And Michael, the archangel, had to help me to get the message to you. But God had answered on day one. But it took 21 days. There's a prince over the Silicon Valley. Supernatural forces at work. We as a church cannot break it. We can't. How do we have 3,000 people on Easter and we're back down to 250? Excuse me. How do we have 305 people saved? Where are they? Not that I'm here to start the largest church in Silicon Valley, but I believe God wants to do a great work. I believe there are marriages in their homes that are wrecked, that are ravaged, that are being destroyed. And I said, God, this is it. This is all I can do. Fasting is when you've come to the end of yourself. And you said, this is it. So, church, we have the ability. We have the authority. What is God calling to you to do? What is that big dream that nothing else is going to do it? That you're like, this needs a move of God. We have to be willing to say no to the bread because there is something better than bread. And it's God's word. You want the best summer ever? Get into this. Can we all stand? God is doing something. He's in this place. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Stretch your hands out. If you say, I needed this message. I need something from God this morning. Just stretch your hands. Stretch them towards heaven. Say, God, I need you. Let me pray over you. Let me ask God to do a work in you. During this fast, I've had people that have told me I've ruined my marriage. I've had people tell me deep burdens. I've had people tell me pray for my marriage. I've had people tell me about deep wounds in their life, that they're praying for God things, that they've tried everything, that they want to have a baby. That they And I'm praying God for big things in this fast, crazy things. And I'm seeing God do something. And I want to see it again. I believe that God can move mountains. I believe that God can do the impossible and he wants to do it in you and through you. But we've got to get back to the part where God said, it's my rhema. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You want to live, truly live the abundant, fresh life. It starts in the word. Dear Heavenly Father, you see hands, you see hearts. Hear them. Hear us. Hear the cry of our soul. Psalms 42, as the deer thirsts for the water, so may our soul thirst for you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship.